testing mm. one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? Shouldn't you start out with Notre Dame's like uh, fight song? Fight song, yeah, yeah, maybe. Do it, do it. I want to hear. It. Do you <laughs> no, it? do you have it memorized? If it's playing, then I'll have it memorized for sure. So but, at Penn State, man, yeah. obviously you get into the big or whatever. They, it's not big houses, Michigan, but um, uh, happy a uh, Beaver Stadium, right? Yeah, hundred and twelve thousand screaming people, and they would play the uh um the fight song or the the song and no one knows it so we would all just sing we don't know the goddamn <laughs> song right <laughs> and we knew all the other stuff yeah, right? Dun, yeah. dun, 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 you know but right. we don't even know your fight song that's pretty sad right? i mean i i feel like it's been so many years since I've been there, but yeah, if, if you start singing it, I could get it, but for sure, I'll like mumble a few words here or there, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, Mike Lee, man, thank you so much for coming on the Frog Logic podcast, brother. I've been uh, really looking forward to this and uh, just can't appreciate, tell you how much I appreciate your time, so thank you, man. Awesome. No, I appreciate it. So likewise, I've been you know checking out your stuff and it's beyond impressive. I love what you're doing. I think you're helping a lot of people so well, well it's funny man last night so you know for those of you who are listening last night we're, we're here in chicago for the christensen boxing smoker to raise money for um, um uh, chicago firefighters and cops and first responders and veterans kids for uh what is it saint uh, ignitus prep right yep. is where they're getting yeah. a scholarship to scholarship go there fund and, and and for me this is a very personal thing because you know i had, i had spent a little time with commander christensen going through sqt when i was there uh and then also many of the other guys from operation red wings i'd put through and then obviously i spent a lot of time with marcus luttrell the lone survivor from that incident and i remember as we were catching up and before the radio interview man you started talking about this this pathway towards your awakening and so I, you know, I, I don't typically like to start, well, in the beginning, where were you born? Now I'm not that kind of guy. Right, man. Yeah. So my big thing is, 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 is we talked about this, this, and I always reference the pathway of pain. And I believe that through that pathway, you have these moments where true purpose is, is you find, can you start at the moment where you first began to realize that all the pain and we'll get into that, all the suffering you've gone through started to change you yeah absolutely um you know one thing i always say and it's a little phrase i like to say is pain is a gift yeah man and you know when you can start to realize that that pain is a gift then you're operating at a different vibration and you think about pain and struggle and getting knocked down on your ass completely differently but i'll tell you a little bit about how i came to that conclusion <laughs> through years yeah, of pain years of extensive pain <laughs> yeah man well because getting hit for a living is nobody can quite fathom the impact right? yeah i mean i get punched in the face for a living i actually i'll never forget i was uh coming up throughout the amateurs and um, I won the Chicago Golden Gloves and I started winning some tournaments and winning a bunch of fights. And I was currently uh, I was studying finance in Notre Dame. So I'm about 20 years old, 21. And this dream that I've had since a little boy started to really come to fruition where I was like, wow, I may have a chance here to turn pro and go for a world title. But obviously, what, was it a dream as a child like that? Like I could do this. I know I, I have it in me. I, I had a dream of becoming a professional athlete at a yeah, very young cool. age. I mean, me I, I remember the first time I put on boxing gloves, I was eight years old. Wow. And my dad, who you know grew up in inner city Chicago, kind of raised me different than a lot of the other kids I grew up with, uh, brought me to a boxing gym and threw me in the ring against a 10-year-old. And I got my ass kicked, dude. <laughs> 
Bro, pain, baby. I spent three rounds getting my ass kicked, and I ended up going to the bathroom, and I'll never forget, I had blood coming down my nose. I'm eight years old, right? And I'm crying, cause, mostly because I'm embarrassed. Yeah. And my dad walks in, and he goes, son, I've never been more proud of you in my life. And I'll never forget that moment and still sticks with me. And I can picture and visualize myself looking in that mirror. And I think that solidified the fact that he told me you didn't give up, you know, after round one, round two, round three, I even got knocked down, but I kept getting back up and I didn't quit. And that was a pivotal moment in my life where I realized that he was proud of me not because I got my ass kicked, but he was proud because I didn't quit. Yeah. And that ideology, when I got really, really sick and in and out of hospitals, which I'll talk about later, saved my life. Because I think at a very young age, he imprinted that idea that, Mike, no matter what comes at you and you get knocked down, you're going to get back up. And so that's kind of that idea is how I started getting better at sports. And I just became addicted to baseball, football, basketball, boxing. And for a long time, I thought I was going to be a baseball player, and I felt like that was my best sport. But I just started getting really good at fighting. I mean, I was 15 years old before I had my driver's license. I was sparring pros. Wow, brother. It was one of those things that I felt like when I walked in the gym, I felt like I belonged. It like That was your home. It was my home. Yep. And when I hopped in the ring, I felt like I belonged in it. It scared me, but it excited me. It was like this weird mixture. So winning a bunch of fights, you know, at, from 16 all the way to 21, um, I'm a finance manager at Notre Dame. And we started going to different pro camps. And all of a sudden, this dream started to somewhat become a reality because I got a call from Bob Barham and Top Rank, arguably one of the best promotional companies in the world. Right. and um, an offer to turn pro and sign. And so here I am. Were you bu- expecting it? I was, I was gunning for it. And we yeah, were in yeah. a couple camps with some other top rank fighters. And so we were starting negotiations, but I was having, you know, friends and family around me. They were basically saying, what are you doing? You know, why are you going to go get punched in the face for a living and risk your life and go into finance or go get that job? Yeah. And it's interesting. Something incredible happened to me about a month or two before I got that contract and decided which path I was going to take. I read this study that I think about and I speak about all the time, and I'll tell you about it. Um, What the study did is they interviewed people from all over the world, Mm -hmm. different walks of life, uh, different races, different ethnicities, even different ages. The only thing they had in common was that they were all dying. So they were all in their deathbed. Yeah, man. And what they found is fascinating. And you're nodding your head because I think you know where I'm going (laughs) with this. They found that the vast majority of them regretted the things they didn't do more than the things they did. And I was a 20-year-old young man reading this study and thinking to myself, that's never going to be me. I don't care how I go out. I don't care if my first fight, I break my hand or I get embarrassed. I never fight again. Or I become a world champion. I don't want to be on my deathbed wondering what if. So fuck it. I'm going to go for it. I love that. And here we are crazy 22 fights later. I world just fought, champion. I just fought for <laughs> a huge title. I've had a bunch of junior world titles yep. that I fought for and won. And um, even though I, I didn't get that title, that that world title that I wanted this last fight, I live my life with no regrets. And it's been a lot of ups and a lot of downs. But I think there's there's beauty in that. You know, the fact that Right then and there, I made a decision that from here on out, I'm going to go all in. Uh, and that was in the hospital or at well, that early age. So at that early age, and then I, I turned pro. Right. So 
So I turned pro. I started winning a lot of fights. Um, it was it, I was taken off. I was probably I was in my early twenties. I got to twelve and zero, so I was right. undefeated, on top of the world, man. I had God, that must have felt good. It was incredible. I mean, I got to fight at Madison Square Garden, uh, Cowboy Stadium. In fact, MSG. I have a big scar on my hand um, from that fight because I broke my hand in the third round. Oh my God! And I ended up getting a knockout in the fourth round. <laughs> And I remember another another moment where I realized, and you know this more than anybody, how incredible of a factor adrenaline is. Oh God, push through I didn't the pain. Even push through the pain, but yeah. I didn't even realize it was broke because my adrenaline, you know, yeah. twenty thousand people, MSG. Yep. I'm on this big undercard. Um, I get back to the dressing room, and my dad and I'm doing a couple interviews, and we're taking off my hand wraps, and. I look down at my hand and this hand is twice the size as my left one. Big fat hand. A big fat hand. I'm in the dressing room <laughs> and I look up at my dad and I always say it was kind of like one of those things where, you know, a kid falls off their bike yeah. and they look to their mom to see if they should cry or not. <laughs> totally. You're okay. I, I'm a You're 25 okay. year old man, you know, pro fighter, pro fighter. I look down at my hand. I look up at my dad and his face was like, oh shit. And boom, the kid, the pain kicked in. Yeah, man. Instantly. So I, I broke my hand and, you know, I was out for a few months. But The um, mind is so powerful. The mind is so powerful. Yeah. And so all throughout my, my journey of getting knocked down, getting back up, I learned how powerful the mind was. And so I got to about 12-0, and 0, um, undefeated. I felt on top of the world. I was winning fights. I, I had a couple Super Bowl commercials, a, a big sponsorship yeah, from man. Subway. Cool. It, was, it was a crazy ride. And then I was getting ready for what would be the biggest fight of my career. And I woke up one day in incredible pain and it was different. I, I knew the pain didn't come from, um, you know, a shot that I took in training camp or it was a, a deep in my bones type pain. I was, I had back pain. I was getting headaches, uh, I felt achy all over. Um, it was, it was tough to get out of bed. So I took some Tylenol and, and got through it. And this was about two weeks before this big fight. And I was at a media workout um, and I ended up excusing myself. And right before the workout started, I finished some interviews. I went to the bathroom and I literally got down on the ground because I thought I was going to pass out from the pain. Holy cow. Two days later, we canceled the fight. I spent the next two and a half years in and out of hospitals battling what I would later find out is an autoimmune disease known as ankylosing spondylitis which was really only the beginning, you know, right. because with a lot of autoimmune issues, it leads to other conditions Absolutely. and whatnot. So um, those two years, I was out of the ring, completely addicted to painkillers. I was on eight different medications. Oh, good God. Completely depressed on antidepressants, um, you know, because I was this young kid and I felt like it was all taken from me. And that was some of the darkest moments of my life. You know what's crazy, Mike, is, is when I hear you describe that story, I literally can hear you know, dozens of the same story from my friends, right? It's literally, they go overseas, they get injured, they, they have to go in the hospital. One in particular, uh, I, became, I was able to interview Kyle Carpenter, Medal of Honor recipient, uh, who ate a, a grenade for his buddy in Afghanistan, right? And as, as a young man, and so right around your similar age, and he spent three and a half years in the hospital, and that was the time it was, you know, it was the most brutal and yeah. because you're you're so hyper aware of your condition and you can't escape it day in and day out it was it, it was do you believe that it, it was more um, um, the you know the idea that oh my god everything is my identity's gone was that 
the, the catalyst for the depression, you think? I think so. I think anytime you're waking up in pain, you know, and even now I, I've got, I've gone so far and, you know, I'll walk through that journey, but I still wake up in pain yeah. every day of my life to some level. How do you scale your pain? I mean, I, I know with my daughters or, you know, as a former medic, you know, you all right, one through 10, 10 being the yeah. lowest pain. You, do you do that to yourself every it, day or not really? It's, it's kind of tough to do that. Cause I feel like pain is so relative and people kind of need to understand that. And once again, you and your community know that, that a lot of this pain is invisible pain too. Absolutely. Right. And so like you just mentioned, guys that, um, serve their country, they come back and their sense of identity is probably gone. And it's that invisible pain. And what's crazy is that the mind really affects the body so much more. We're learning so much. hundred percent. So I think that humans and I was doing this to myself, I was constantly in this negative perpetual mindset yeah. and it was only making my condition worse. It really was. And it wasn't until I started diving into, for instance, this one guy called Dr. Joe Dispenza yep. talks a lot about this mindset and meditation and visualization, uh, visualization yeah, and man. healing your body. And some people may say it's woo woo, but damn, it, it really helped me and something I consistently do because I started changing the questions and narrative and conversations in my head. And that was definitely a big catalyst for some of the change because um, you got to break yourself out of that funk, you know, and it's obviously easier said than done, but your mind will dictate how your body operates. I mean, that's now, been proven. Every, everybody hears this from great athletes or successful people that have had to endure pain on, on a regular basis. And like you said, it's all relative. So the, you know, translating that to your life at home for somebody struggling, battling cancer, or, you know, they have five kids and they're poor, you know, and you get in that, that negative, that OODA loop of negativity. And, and so how did you, I mean, obviously you had been doing it in some context since you were that eight year old little boy, when you realize, um, self effectualization is indicative of seeing yourself as a success, right? You know, you, you went out there, you didn't quit and you got the immediate feedback from your father. Good boy, good job. And so that was an early imprint, a pivotal moment for you. So you've been doing it your whole life, but had you been doing it in the, in the, in the detail that you then started doing it before? No, I don't think so. And I think this pain made me change as a human being and really dial into that. And one quick thing I'll say to those people that are dealing with pain, obviously it's, it's never easy, but one quick, small advice that's worked for me. Um, I actually, I read this book called the anatomy of illness yeah. by Norman cousins. He's a guy who had a similar disease as me. And he said he cured his disease with two things. One was vitamin C drips. So a, a ton of vitamin C, which on the health side, but two was comedies. What he would do every single day was watch comedies and force himself to laugh. And dude, I started doing that shit. Like I'd watch Step Brothers and Wedding yeah, Crashers yeah. and like I would force myself and only be around like my sister who's the goofiest human being in the world. And even when I was in pain, I would force myself to watch comedies, right? Because I've never been that person that you go through a bad breakup and then you listen to a bunch of really sad fucking songs. <laughs> It only makes the shit worse. The comes out, yeah, right? Yeah, dude. Like, no, I'm the opposite. I'm like, let's put some stupid movies on and laugh. And so, well, that, it's funny you say that. And so many people, you know, are remember watching that movie, The Secret, right? And there's a story yeah. about a guy who, who who breaks every bone in his body, right, in a plane crash. 
there was an experience that happened in, when I was in college. I was in a, one of my psychology courses where a Native American guy who was a welder in, in Pittsburgh had fallen off the top of a ship welding and broke every bone in his body. And his grandfather, who is a medicine man from the Sioux tribe, comes and starts... He, he starts, I want you to think about every bone healing together. Mm. And a guy stands up and walks like three weeks later, you know? Yeah. So, so there are too many stories for yeah. it to be bullshit, right? There and are. And you, from personal experience, you're, you're feeling, how fast was it? Did you start to recognize it working? Well, I mean, it was, it was two steps forward, one step back, you know? Okay. And so I literally, there was a pivotal moment for me where I was in a hospital bed in Chicago. I was like 13 days in. And, um, I remember next to me was the bottle of painkillers that I had, the, the tramadol and everything else and a notebook. And it was an aha moment because what I had done was I was writing down every single medication, what I, I was Whoa. obsessed with the pain, which was only making it worse. Right. And I remember going in one day to see a doctor and I had my notebook out, like ready to do it, you know, ready to write down everything. And he was like, that's your problem right there. He's like, put that down. Stop obsessing over this. You need wow. to figure out a way to heal instead of writing down all the things that hurt. Cause I would literally write up, wake up every day. And I'd be like, today's an eight out of 10. I feel this, you know, brain fog. I have terrible headaches today. Um, I have inflammation. I'm getting rashes on my body from the inflammation. Like I would write down all the shit that was happening. Th this is fascinating to me because in performance, especially in elite performance that you know a lot about, we want to track those metrics, right? Don't we? We want to say, all right, to get the maximum power, I need to rotate my shoulder another quarter inch. I have to punch another three centimeters through my target. My hips have to be here. So we look in terms of those types of metrics, right? I need to add another 30 seconds on the assault bike to get another, uh, you know, uh, to keep my heart rate at this in the, in the eighth round or whatever, right? We, so we measure those. But here you have this grand awakening that that type of metric detail, when it's, when it's through a negative lens, right. it, be, it distorts your, your ability to, to, to heal. It did. I mean, it's like if you put uh, yellow glasses on, everything in the world looks yellow, right? It's, yeah. it's all perception is reality, and it's what kind of lenses you put on. I decided to put on what I call positive perpetual mindset. Like yeah, it was man. constant. And listen, I'm not perfect. I still have days of pain. I still have days when I'm down. But I started every single day reading books by Dr. Joe Dispenza. I was going to Tony Robbins conferences. King, I was like the, the king. king. Dude. <laughs> I, wa I walked on fire. Yeah, like, bro. <laughs> I mean, I started really diving into it and I started looking into all natural ways to heal myself. Oh, that's cool. I knew that the prescription medication for me wasn't a long-term thing. And I started, I completely changed my diet. I started doing things like cryotherapy and infrared sauna and med meditating and visualizing myself getting healthier and just changing a lot of little simple things, improving my sleep. And that's how slowly but surely it took a long time. But doctors basically saying, you're not going to fight again to I got back in the ring and I went from eight medications to zero. I mean, wow. I was on Humira for three years where I'm you know, stabbing myself yeah. in the leg and, and doing that every week. And I slowly weaned off of it. And I truly believe that it started with my mindset. Yep. And then it started by seeing functional medicine doctors who helped me look at my body in, in a holistic sense, Right. not okay. You have this problem. 
we're going to write you a prescription for it, right? Because if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, brother. And I started changing my mindset around that and being like, holy shit, there's ways that you can heal yourself and help yourself outside of just this painkiller. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm, I still deal with pain on a daily basis, but I'm so far from those hospital beds. Oh, amen. And I'm, and I'm grateful. And when I say pain is a gift, one of the things that pain taught me was gratitude and empathy. I was very Beautiful, egotistical, brother. man. I was all about winning fights, making money, and this shit humbled me and it changed me as a human being to where I now am extremely empathetic. I love connecting with human beings. Yeah. Everything I do after this career, um, whether it's you know CBD company I started or speaking engagements or maybe a book or whatever it is, I want to, I want to do what you're doing, dude. Yeah, I, brother. I want to connect with humans and help heal humans because this pain has made me realize that other people are going through pain. A lot of people. A lot of people lot. are. And in that way, it's a gift. And so that, that's my ultimate message is you've got two choices when you're in pain, right? To either succumb to it and lay in the fetal position and be a victim or think, how can this shit be a gift, yeah, man. right? Because think about how often in your life you've had the most painful breakup, painful moment in your life, and now it's a damn blessing, right? You learn. We you learn, learn the most when we're in the most pain. So if you did it before, why can't you do it again? Yeah. You know, and, well, and that's I think, what I drive home. I, you know, I, and I love that you talk about it in that context. You know, my, I, I, as I was saying just before we got on, you know, every day with my daily dose, I, I end it with a hashtag, the peaceful pathway of pain, right? And that there's this, it's this long road, right? In the dark woods to get to the light. And, and it's all of those things. It's the physical, the mental, the spiritual, emotional. And, but when you do realize that these are these gifts, as you call them, um, they, they can not only change your body and bring your body back, but they, they change your mind. They change your perspective. And for me, the same thing happened, man. I, you know, when I got out of teams, I was angry. I was uh, captain negative. Uh, everybody was an idiot. Everybody did it wrong. Every and just couldn't stand anybody, which was, I think, uh, a leftover residual effect of being uh, a warrior or what mm. my perception of warrior was. If I was weak in any way, and I attributed empathy with weakness, yeah. And and it really was my own fear of being vulnerable and caring, right? And when you can make that shift to where you can still be a warrior and empathetic man the whole world fucking opens up for you yeah. and it changes you so were you obviously you were very focused that this positive path right was going to get you back in the ring were you noticing these these this sense of gratitude as now this defining character trait you were going to live by yeah and i started doing things i would write down three things i was grateful for every day yeah, and man. i read some people were doing that and first i was like that's stupid <laughs> but you know i'm gonna try it and it started helping and like little meditation i do it on a daily basis right yeah, me too. so some people think like meditation's like go sit you're Indian in the style. lotus position yeah dude and, <laughs> for and an you're hour fucking looking for your third eye and <laughs> yeah you know all that nonsense yeah. and and that's my point that's why people don't get into it it's like for me that's not it like yes i'll have those moments where i'm completely clear-headed but a lot of times i'm just thinking about things i'm grateful for or i'm yeah. visualizing with extreme clarity the exact things that are going to happen or that i'm happy about or that i i want to happen in my future and 
I think it really changes at a cellular level your your body. It does. I mean, they're proving it. Yeah, they're proving it right now. I mean, it was funny. I I, I big like I geek out on all this neuroscience shit, right? I want to know. I, I can't wait till they figure out how to actually map the human mind because then it's just going to unlock so much for us, right? And all of these theories that uh, for coaching and performance coaching and mental skills and all these other people in the world are finally going to have some validation from a science base, right? And that can shut the naysayers down once and for all. Yeah. But you, you, you look at this space, man, where it's like, man, uh, you know, and I think guys like you and I and other other guys that traditionally come from a, a very masculine world, a very domineering a alpha type thing, now to hear us say, "Hey, man, you don't you don't you don't have to sacrifice that in order to be this over here too." It actually makes you better yeah. at being a warrior because now you're you're not just fighting to fight because you want to prove yourself in that ego, but you're fighting to fight for people who can't fight, who need help fight in the fight, right? That's so true. It's it's interesting. It's like we're starting to realize what being a man and being a warrior is, is, you know, being vulnerable too, right? Being empathetic and being vulnerable. Um, like if you heard about the bear spear, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I just heard yeah. that concept not long ago yeah. and I, I met a guy who had a bear spear on his arm and I was like, damn, that's cool. What is that? And he explained the concept of, you know, when you have a bear spear and this has been known for thousands of years, when you go attack a bear, he'll kill you point Hands blank, down. right? Yeah. If you machismo and say, I'm going to go kill that bear, you're going to die. The way you kill a bear with the bear spear is you lay back in like a vulnerable position and you wait for the bear to attack you. Yeah. Then you bring the spear up and when it jumps on you to kill you, the spear goes in it. So you almost sacrifice or your vulnerability ends up being your strength. Your strength. And how that's a damn cool metaphor <laughs> right it's, it's beyond the, cool man the that's the spear. ultimate yeah man. not only are you killing bears which is pretty awesome right yeah but but you're 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 killing the ego you're killing the, you're ego. Killing the ego exactly and they're there you know we're starting i mean you know you get back to the 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 kings of that and that you know you go back to freud and, and carl Jung and all those people and man that's what they talked about incessantly in these evaluations within clinical psychology and so you know, now it's now finally becoming, you know, somewhat uh, fashionable, if you will, yeah. to show yeah. that. And, and you know, it, I think the hard part is there is so much fear affiliated with that, right? And is it going to tarnish my reputation? Is it, am I going to lose money? Is it going to, because we're, you know, you learn to uh, promote yourself based on a, a, a concept of your, of, who your past is, what your past is, right? You are a world-class fighter, right? You're champion. And so you have to display this champion, non-breakable mentality, but that's not the case anymore. Yeah. And, and how has that affected you in terms of finding greater purpose in your life now? Well, I think that opening up and being vulnerable uh, about my disease and pain and things I go through is something that I never used to do because... I think I was kind of taught growing up that that meant you were less of a man. It was like, um, <laughs> you know, take a punch, but you know, don't cry, you know, and that, that type of mentality I think is just outdated. And so really since I've like opened up and had conversations like this and been vulnerable and connected with humans, I found more joy in my life, man. Yeah, and like that. realizing that 
that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, I don't know, uh, less of a man or, or not, not being masculine enough or whatever. If anything, it's like made me connect with other human beings and show them that, yeah, I'll get in the ring and we'll fight 10 rounds, 12 rounds. I'll fuck you up. But at the same time, I can be that person that can sit down yeah. and tell you about the pain I'm going yeah. through. And yeah. I want to hear about the pain you're going yeah. through. Let's you support know? one another. Let's support it. Yeah, yeah. a thousand percent. Okay, just a quick interruption here for a break for our, um, our sponsors. Uh, I just want to start out and give a tremendous thank you to uh, Aubrey and all my team over at Onnit. Uh, you know, this is probably the best supplement company on the market. I know I've been using their products for uh, the last uh, several years, and they've had a considerable effect on me and my ability to get in the ring, so to speak. Uh, I'm such a... Um, I, you know, as a person who does what I does as a performance coach and, and, uh, a motivational speaker, it's critical that I have the best, uh, uh, products to assist in my ability to live my best life, to, to op optimize my human performance. And most of that comes from, uh, a variety of different things, whether it's my infrared sauna or it's, it's uh, my workouts with Jana, or it's our good diet, but it also has a, there are considerable benefits that I receive from Onnit products. Uh, the most substantial two products that I use on a daily basis are Alpha Brain, which help uh, my memory and focus. Uh, you know, uh, cognitive alacrity is, is something that is critical for me and my ability to distribute what it is I do for a living, my ability to help others uh, and, and improve on their performance. So uh, every morning I wake up, I get up, I have a glass of water and I, I, I pop an alpha brain and that seems to keep me sharp all day. It allows me to engage and, and stay focused uh, as I'm working on new content and new uh, ideas for Team Frog Logic. And it's just one of those things that I've really come ac uh, grown accustomed to depending on. So uh, if you're interested in helping your memory and focus, go over to onnit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T.com. And check out Alpha Brain. It's their signature product, and it's... Uh, uh, just done remarkable benefits for me and my ability to remain focused throughout my day. The other one that really has a profound effect for me is total gut health. I don't know what happened in my trips overseas, but uh, in some capacity, I've, I've sustained uh, some digestion issues and uh, some gut problems over, over the years. Uh, and Onnit's Total Gut Health product, uh, which breeds healthy gut flora, uh, and optimal digestion is something that has really been a, an immense benefit for me and helped me uh, process my food, uh, work my food, get the best energy out of my food. So check out Total Gut Health if uh, you're suffering from any type of uh, gut issues or if you just want to clean up the probiotics, the HCL and the enzymes in your gut, man, this is the product for you. So again, on it, thank you so much for playing such an important role in my uh, optimization uh, with Alpha Brain and Total Gut Health. So head over to uh, onnit.com and tell them Frog Logic sent you. All right. Uh, and the other sponsor I just can't thank enough is uh, Wise Company. Man, I'll tell you, with the coronavirus uh, and the way it is right now and how it's spreading, I got to tell you, uh, I'm starting to uh, think about what my plan of action will be 
and what I'm going to need to protect my family should this come to the United States and and begin the outbreak as it is happening over in China. I mean, this is a real thing. Uh, the last pandemic, uh, luckily, uh, faded out, SARS, but this one is growing at uh, triple the rate and affecting uh, twice as many people uh, in a faster amount of time uh, to the point where Russia has closed their borders. Uh, the, w, uh, the World Health Organization has said this is a worldwide crisis. Uh, and man, I'm not your typical alarmist, but I do know that if you don't get ahead of the game, uh, then when the time comes where you actually need it, it's going to be too late. So do yourself and your family a favor and head over to wisefoodstorage.com. That's wisefoodstorage.com and check out the incredible products. They have a one month emergency food supply for one person at $299.99. There is uh, uh, another uh, where they've got uh, great emergency go kits. They've got 18 total buckets, uh, six months. They've got a one year, all of these things uh, right now up to 50% saving. And if you go over to wisefoodstorage.com and you type in your promo code of FrogLogic, you get an additional 25% off all those products. So that's almost a 75% uh, break on the products that they have online right now. So listen, now is the time. Go over to wisefoodstorage.com. Get these incredible freeze-dried food products that last 25 years. They're easy to store in these incredible buckets that they have. And the meals, they taste great. But better yet, in a crisis when, when uh, the, you know, this pandemic, if and on the unlikely and unfortunate event, it, it starts sweeping our nation, you're prepared. You're prepared to hunker down with your family and you've got enough food to last while the CDC uh, works out the proper antibiotics in order to crush this thing. And that will happen. But, with, you know, it's better to be prepared than unprepared because I'm telling you, uh, if you wait till the last minute, you, you're, you're going to be in trouble. And more importantly, your family's going to be in trouble. So go over to wisefoodstorage.com, promo code FROGLOGIC, and an additional 25% off everything. Man, and, uh, you know, just get some peace of mind. So be ready, be wise. That's widefoodstorage.com. Thank you. All right, back to the interview. All right, well, I, you know, one of the things that I, I like to spend a lot of time on in, within Frog Logic is fear. Mm. And when you start to dissect fear uh, on a physiological level, there's no escaping it, right? And we had chatted a little bit about last night, and, and, and we both gave some commentary about uh, you know, it's not it's not when you entered into the ring or you're in the middle of a combat operation because you've hit flow state. And I love that you know that term, and uh, and I think so many people would uh, benefit from going to exp to explore and trying to educate yourself on the concept of flow state. Just check out Martin Seligman at University of Pennsylvania is really a beautiful founding idea within positive psychology on it. But but. It's the the moment right before, right? Mm, the walk yeah. to the ring. Yeah. Can can you break that down for everybody listening? And 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 what role, f how present is fear? What it makes you think about? How you control it, or embrace it? And then you know, and then just that sense of 
isolation in that moment right before the bell sounds. Yeah, I mean, boxing is one of the loneliest sports in the world because I, I told you last night, it's like you go up those steps, those three, four steps into the ring with your whole team. Everyone's behind you, the entourage, you got the bell, you know, the cameras are in your face. But when the bell rings, you go forward and they go back, right? <laughs> Happily! And they, they're out of the <laughs> ring. And they know that. And they're your teammates and, and you know, your team and they love you. But... Um, Without a doubt, I mean, every fighter knows this, you know, any fighter that says they're not afraid before or at least like nervous, you know, for yeah. any reason, they're lying. Without Completely. a doubt. Like we all get up there in the press conference and you say what you got to say. But at the end of the day, I don't care if it's your first fight or your 40th fight, you're going in there, you're risking your life. And if anything, you're more afraid of getting embarrassed, yeah. you know. But that moment when you're in the dressing room. That's cool how you, how you frame out there's a spectrum of fear. Yeah, It's there not is. a simple fear. It's not the, the gut feeling. It's a whole spectrum of emotions that deal with fear. Yeah, it really is. It's everything. When you're in the dressing room and they're like, okay, two minutes, and you're about to walk through this tunnel, and there's thousands of screaming fans, and you know that you're about to, you know, put your ass on the line. And, put your life on line. Put your life on the line and go for it and you know, possibly get embarrassed and knocked out or killed. Like you feel those nerves and it's a whole spectrum. Like you said, between like fear of, you know, getting hurt, fear of failure, which is the biggest one for me. Massive. I was more afraid every single fight in my career of failing yeah. and, and losing than getting hurt, which I think made me a great fighter, but also, um, could be a detriment to, to your health, to oh, be honest. Well, it, it, when you, when you start breaking down, you know, the behavioral traits of fear. And when you allow that fear of failure to become the roadblock for trying new things, like you said, fuck it, I'm, I'm going for this. You know, yeah. I don't want to look back at my life and say, I didn't try, right? At least if you tried, you can check that off and say, you know what? I, I tried, but I, I just, I didn't have what it took. I had hit, I maxed out on talent, right? Yeah. And, 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 but the concept of, of failure as a driver Right, is really something that I, I have heard time and time again with so many people that have gone to next level places of accomplishment and, and, and talk a little bit about that and where that came from and, and how you control it. Yeah, well, so I told you a story last night of the first fight I had as a pro. Um, it was on national television. Um, it was here in Chicago. And hometown, hometown yeah. kid, Chicago, national television. <laughs> and as a pro, the headgear comes off, yeah. the gloves get smaller. Like you, you feel naked. You're like, oh shit, it's about to go down. You know, yeah. I was so nervous that fight that I could barely feel my legs. It felt like I was walking, um, on sand yeah, man. and I won the fight. It was sloppy. Um, didn't have my best performance. And I remember after that fight thinking something's got to change. Yeah. Right. And once again, that pain was a gift because I then went and saw a couple different sports psychologists um, who really kind of taught me about visualization yeah, and opened up my mind. Because before who I was like, Do you, can you, will you name them? Yeah. Well, there's a couple guys that, that I saw initially. The first guy, I actually don't remember his name. Another guy was Brian Kane. Okay. Um, he started working with me a little bit and he's incredible at what he does. Um, so these guys would kind of teach me a little bit about 
how you would visualize the fight and how you would change that in your mindset and really teaching you that if you visualize what the fight looks like, smells like, tastes like, with extreme clarity, your brain does no difference between perception and reality. So I started really doing that in every single training camp, I would close my eyes and I would visualize, you know, that moment and what I wanted it to be. And I think even in times when it didn't go that way, it kept me calm, you know, um, three fights ago, I, I broke my rib in the second round, fought eight more rounds of the broken rib. I think that I visualized that moment so much, not breaking my rib, but that fight that I was calm enough to get through. Right. So after that experience, that first fight, I started working on this mental visualization and, and it really kind of helped me every single time I stepped in the ring, all of a sudden I was like excited. Yeah. It was a weird thing. The moment I stepped in the ring, I was happy. I was, you know, uh, ready to perform. But when you're in that dressing room, it's fear, man. And we were talking about this last night. It's always like that first step. Yeah. Right. Yep. So you, you, once you step <laughs> off and you're in it and yep. you're in the shit, like you're in flow state, you're let's good. do it. You're good. But it's, it's like you're paralyzed and it's like, okay, Mike, we're ready for you. And it's that first step out that is so scary. Oh, my, my nerves prior to leaving, going outside the wire uh, were, are just, you know, you're riddled with it. You feel, you feel it in everything you do, right? You can, you feel fear's presence in your life and, and every little thing. And, you know, you're checking your gloves or you're checking your weapon. You're checking, you know, your kit, make sure is my bag that I mess that up. But, you know, holy shit, I don't want to let these guys down next to me, man. And, and then as soon as you step off that bird, man, it just goes boop. All the training comes in place. The, the, the stress inoculation takes over and you perform. Yeah. And you perform. And, and one of the, I think, you know, for, I think, you know, so often people want to really understand, you know, I, I think the most overused boxing quote in the world is Mike Tyson. You know, everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the fucking face, right? Mm -hmm. Or whatever you yeah. say, you know, yeah. and, but it's so true. How, how did that, that physical reality of, of being in the ring alter that calmness in you? Did it, or, or was it just part of it? I think I was always just a very calm person. Um, it, anytime there'd been an emergency or something, I just always had that in me. And I don't know if I was born with it or what, but, um, I felt very calm during high stress situations, or at least I fake it. Interesting. So I don't, I don't know where I got that from, but that was something, um, that I always kind of had no matter what in and out of sports. You don't think it was taught or learned. You didn't see it on your father and uncles and people and peers. You didn't see it in the boxing gym, a coach didn't display it. I don't know. That's a great question. I never really thought about it. You know, I, cause that's a big question, right? Is, yeah. is, is, you know, one of the interesting, there's a guy out there, his name's Jeff Nichols, fantastic, one of the top strength and conditioning guys out there. And, you know, was tier one operator at six during the heyday when they were just slaying people. And, and, and they used to wear, they wear heart rate monitors, right. And, and they're plugged in and they're, you know, he would say that, you know, on missions where they're in firefights, his heart rate isn't giving above 115 or 120, 122. And that's rounds flying by your head. And so, you know, you, you start to go, well, how is that even possible? And, and, and I believe it, there, there is a behavioral component too, but there's also a genetic aspect of people that uh, want to pursue these types of endeavors in their lives that sure. they can remain calm in that in that situation, right? Yeah, the pressure I mean, of it. 
A hundred percent. And it's interesting. I think that's probably somewhat genetic and somewhat a learned behavior. Yeah. So maybe there was something when I was little that I saw my parents acting that way, calm under pressure, or maybe the opposite. Maybe they weren't acting calm. And I told myself, I don't want to be that person. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that specifically, I'm not sure. I just always kind of knew I, I had that and it's kind of who I am as a person. Well, um, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Like as soon as I started watching videos, it wasn't what I expected. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, I haven't been around the fight game and definitely not, you know, uh, boxing, but more so MMA, you know, you know, there's a, there's a, um, I don't want to call it anxiety, but there's a, there's a, palp there's a palpable sense of anticipation. That's always there mm. with a fighter, yeah. especially when you're in the cycle of preparation. Right. Yeah, and course. that's what your life is. These perpetual cycles of preparation for this one glorious, you know, half hour event. And then you go back down and come back up and go back down and come back up. So I, I just find it fascinating that, you know, in that cycle, you know, are you learning more and more and more about yourself? Are you getting better and better at tweaking this calmness, this, the, the threshold of pain, all these things? I think so. And I think you learn that in sparring too, because you'll see a lot of people that try to start boxing. And I hear this all the time. And they're like, even professional athletes, their buddies of mine that play in the NFL that, that want to start boxing, not professionally, but just working out. Yeah. They're always like, oh my God, dude, I'm exhausted after a round or two. <laughs> that's their heart rate and their fight or flight kicking up. So you yeah. see guys like Floyd Mayweather, guys who are extremely calm under pressure. And if you get to that top tier of boxing, that's how you have to be. That's how you have to last 12 rounds, dude. If you go out there and blow your load the first round, yeah. like you're not going to last another 11 rounds. Ain't gonna and happen. so you just, it's a learned behavior actually. Okay. So maybe now that I do think about it, maybe I think it is a learned behavior of the years and years of sparring, knowing that, I need to stay really calm. I mean, in between rounds, I'll take a big yeah. deep breath in my nose, out through the mouth. I have a strength conditioning coach, Andy Galpin. He works with a ton of top level guys, taught me some breathing techniques. Yeah, so, man. but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you kind of learn that you have to slow your heart rate down, um, which goes against your, your intuition, your, or your, your innate, your innate response, response which to, is like, combat. I need to be ready. I need to be ready. But then you gas out. Totally. Right. Brutal. So, and when that exhaustion hits you, it hits you. It doesn't ease into you. It just you. bottoms out. Yeah, right. Dude. Because your reservoir of adrenaline just empties. And then, and then your body, your prefrontal cortex catches up and then boom, you're in that Oh shit space. How am I going to regenerate quickly? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the next stage of athletics and guys are starting to do so much more, you know, teams like Seattle Seahawks are now hiring guys uh, to come in and, and work with mental prep and like guys like you working with athletes. It, yeah, we're at like, the beginning of it, you I, know, like I, I, you know, so for, for three years I work with the Red Sox and then culminated with their world series. And, and I, I remember sitting down with some of the younger guys and, and, and just talking to them about mental preparation and talking to them. And they had a great mental skills coach there who had worked, worked with them for years. And, but I, I was bringing it from more from this exaggerated state of, of conflict, right? Mm. When you're in under the, the real duress, which is the, the moment before you throw, the moment before you swing, right? The moment before you catch a ball, you know, how are you processing that? And, and the reality is, you, you, 
you you aren't consciously processing right you're 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 falling back to your last rote conditioning your right? subconscious your you're, you're, you're subconscious taking off yeah. that training's taking off like you know slip jab right yeah. you don't even think about it it just happens and so you know how to build up to that is essential and, and part of it is all these different variables that, that you're you're speaking of yeah well let me ask you this as as now you're in this very awakened state um on so many levels and it's really beautiful to see brother it is man it's really cool um so many athletes uh don't ever get that until much later right you know four or five years after their career they're like wow my career wasn't essentially a career that was going to last an entire lifetime it was a platform for me to build real purpose for the rest of my life and I, and I had done a, a, a speech about that to the Miami Dolphins a bunch of years ago and saying, hey, this is a platform for what your true meaning in life is going to become. So you're in that space right now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. It's a constant battle, you know, because your identity is an athlete and it's what you know, but you need to realize that um, – you've got hopefully another 70 years on this planet from <laughs> most athletes and even most guys that are in service. It's a short lifespan. Yeah, it is. It's so intense and it's a short lifespan. And when it either is starting to come to an end or it ends, guys really struggle with that. And I know I'm going to struggle with that too, but I think going through that pain has kind of helped me um, when I eventually retire and ease into that, uh, understanding that, like you just said, that you use that as a platform. I mean, it's exactly what you're doing. You're 100%. using your time and service as a platform now to help other people. And then when you have like that meaning behind it, I think it helps you like wake up every day happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, you know, there's a, a brilliant guy out there. His name's uh, Ben Tal Shahar. He's a, a social psychologist. He used to teach at Harvard. He taught the Harvard positive uh, psychology course for many years and now he's got a big company about happiness and he teaches corporations how to integrate the pursuit of happiness into daily you know work how to pursue it into your home lives and he's really kind of brilliant and and one of the my favorite things is is that he often describes happiness as this profound illusion right mm. and we're this pursuit of it is the actual happiness right yeah. it, it's not this this grand moment of elation where you're your arms go up with the belt in your hand, you know, you've made yourself proud. You've made your family proud, but it's, it's all of the millions of little steps that are a part of the millions of little conversations you're having every day. Are, are you, uh, how are you going to shape your experience to start, as you say, start helping other people manage pain and deal with pain in the pursuit of their happiness? Well, that's a great point and something that I struggled with for a long time and probably still do to where I was so focused on world title or uh, an external validation and then I'll be happy and then I'll be successful. And you just realize it's just not true. And, and dude, is it's that like, a, is that a tough thing to realize? It's tough. Cause I think I was raised that, you know, more, more, more. Right. And like, I'm never, uh, really complacent or I'm never satisfied. And it's a, double-edged sword because it made me a great athlete and I got to accomplish a lot of incredible things, but I also never feel fulfilled and I'm working on that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I, you know, when you have success without fulfillment, that's the ultimate failure. Tony Robbins says yeah, that all man. the time. 
And I've felt that in moments in my life where people are like, Oh my God, you did this, you did that. And I was like, I don't, I don't feel like it's enough. So that's where the gratitude comes into play and why I'm starting to work on that and getting better at that, where even throughout a day where you're having a rough day where you can sit down and visualize and think about three things you're grateful for, it changes like the chemicals, the neurochemistry in your brain, right? So I kind of think that that's what I'm hoping. I'm continuing to learn. It'll be a constant process to the day I die, but I want to start helping people um, realize those little things and teaching them through a visualization process or, you know, maybe someone in pain is listening to this right now. Cause dude, I'll tell you what, when I was in a ton of pain, I listened to so many podcasts and shows and read books. And there's a sense of, um, when, when you know someone else is going through pain and you hear their story, you get hope. Like, dude, I would get so much hope that's after cool. reading articles of other people going through pain. And that's when I realized I need to talk more about this. And I get messages and DMs all the time from people that are like, I listened to your podcast or or a show you're on and I listened to this or I saw an interview and wow, it gave me hope. Yeah, man. You know, and that shit's incredible. Well, one of the craziest things that I've experienced in this and, and, you know, having done over, over, I think I'm over like 425 podcasts now and, and you know a ton of those on, on never quit podcasts about people's greatest never quit moments and just doing what I do for a living and, and traveling the country. You know you get out there and people want to come up and share with you. Yeah. They they want to they want to say hey look, I, I have pain too, I and thank you you validated my pain and and the thing that really hit me is because I saw it overseas man I, I I saw eventually began to see that. Man, even in these war-torn countries, there's you know these these cultures are just riddled with pain, right? And and for me not to allow myself to recognize that there you know we're we're contributing to the pain. We're we're part, not that I'm I'm a peace, love, happy, hippie type dude at all, right? Um, but I I I have to acknowledge that. We all bear the responsibility of how we impact other people, in particular, emotional pain. And one of the unique aspects about the world is that we all can share in collective pain, right? Your back pain. I have horrible, you know, uh, cervical pain and lower back pain. You know, your hands. I have, I've got started arthritis in my hands. My knees are shot. So just that alone, much less this process of, of recognizing, man, my identity might be gone. How do I come and, and develop the next one? And it's, it's really a, this beautiful shared thing. Are you, are you finding now that when people are stopping you or want to share with, like you're actually stopping and listening to what they're sharing with you? Yeah, because like I said, going through this pain made me incredibly empathetic. My family, friends, they, they recognize that empathy in me and I feel that, you know, it's crazy. I'll, you know, it's one of those things where like, I used to like never cry watching movies. And now if it's like an epic, I mean, lone survivor, oh, like, bro, you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm like waterworks, dude. Yeah, and I think too. it's made me cause I'm empathetic, you yeah. know? Um, and I'm trying to see that as a gift now. Yeah. And yeah, I get to kind of connect with humans. Cause like I said, everybody's going through some shit and Pain is relative, man. That's kind of the thing. Like we often try to compare our pain to other people's pain or they went through this, they went through that. But, 
you know, it's, it's all relative. And so it's kind of how you look at it and how you deal with it. So once again, that positive perpetual mindset, it's everything, dude. Like be around people that make you laugh, yeah. have fun, watch stupid movies. Like that shit really will help you take steps in the right direction. So that's beautiful, brother. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, what, what's next? What, what can we expect out of, out of Mike Lee in the next few months, the yeah. few, few years? What, what are we, what's in store for you? Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're negotiating a, a possible big fight for this summer. So, um, that's something that we've been, been thinking about. Um, after my last fight, uh, I've had some months off and I've been building the CBD company, uh, soul CBD. Soul so CBD, what's the website? MySoulCBD.com. Love that, um, man. Had to rock, had to rock yeah, the Yeah, man, it's beautiful. I love the logo. <laughs> Thank you, man. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the things, CBD, that I really got into in this world of uh, hemp and cannabis yeah, and learning brother. more about uh, plant medicine. And yeah, so um, I co-founded the company with my sister, um, Angie Lee, about... 17 months ago and it's taken off and we've got, you know, uh, we've hired a team and, uh, it's all direct to consumer, but we're about to get into retail. So for me, that's been fun to kind of put my entrepreneurial hat on. Yeah. Um, Your business background, dude, brother. Is, I love it. Which is the same as fighting, man. Like days you get knocked down, you got to get back up. It, even it's more so, so, even more so. Yeah. So that's been really fun. Like growing this company and helping thousands of people, man. Yeah. Like I constantly, once again, get DMS of people that, this stuff is helping them with pain, anxiety, or sleep. And so that's been really fulfilling too, to grow this company. Um, and then, you know, some speaking gigs, you know, we got this gig Brother, tonight, yeah. which is amazing. We're going to help raise a bunch of money for, um, you know, charity, uh, Eric Christensen foundation. That's, that's helping these, these kids out of, of military personnel and first responders. And so, um, I'm having fun, man. I'm, I'm trying to, I don't, I don't know what's next. It's, it's scary, but also exciting. Well, let me let me give a little, put my little, my Swami hat on. That's an old Johnny Carson reference for nobody. <laughs> yeah, what you got for yeah, me? Right. All right, so this is what I <laughs> Is it I, all going to be okay? This is, oh, my God, yeah, yeah. This is what I <laughs> all right, see. Dude. I see not only massive entrepreneurial success, just because just you're driven, but I also see tens of millions of people being helped by you. And and I see a, a, a vibe. I, you know, very vibrant career. Hopefully you're going to get in there and, and, and do some ringside commentary. You have an incredible perspective in the way you deliver. I'd love to see a podcast from you. I'd love to see, you know, just maybe even a, a, an interview show here locally in, in Chicago with athletes. I mean, one of the greatest sports towns there is, I just think the sky's the limit. And, and because, you know, it's so often, it takes a long time, right? On our deathbeds is when we start to have those great moments of reflection. But you've been given this glorious gift of pain to put you in a place now yeah. where you can do that, man. Well, I appreciate that, man. I yeah. hope so. I hope so. That's the plan. Well, God bless you, brother. Thank, Thank you, you man. so much. Sounds good.